guys, we're going to be in Hosea in chapter 9. Hosea chapter 9. Lauren, this mic sounds just a little bit funny. If it just goes off, you can turn on this pulpit mic, okay? I didn't know if we would move pretty quickly, but I was going through this, and I just felt like this was not a chapter we could just skip. And it just seems to connect with me, with our current culture. I just feel like this could be written to America in 2023. And so I want you to look at it. I want you to think about it. Um, I know it's going to be easy. My grandma would call this a good pitchfork sermon. You know what a pitchfork sermon is, right? Oh, yeah. That, that's, that's Diane Bridges, if I ever heard anything. Oh, that's Teresa, right? That, she, that is all her. Man, God, give it to Sintel. I can tell. That is what he is. He needs it, right? And you might be thinking of people and coworkers and politicians and whatever, but what I really want you to make sure before you walk out of the room today is you're thinking of you, okay? And really let it rest on your heart and ask yourself, am I where the Lord needs me to be? And, and again, to say this, because I've been around death uh, this weekend, be ready to meet the Lord. We want to be ready. We want to please him. We want to meet him with joy. And so let's, let's do that together. All right. Hosea chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 7. Again, our theme, I desire mercy, uh, but today uh, we're going to look at the idea of, of listening to the crazy one. Listen to the maniac. And hopefully that will make more sense here in just a minute. Isaiah, excuse me, Hosea, chapter 9, verse 7, King James Version of the Bible, the scripture says, The days of visitation are come, the days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad, or a maniac, for the multitude of thine iniquity and thy great hatred. Let me read verse 8 again. Excuse me, end of verse 7. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad for the multitude of thine iniquity and the great hatred. So we're going to look at this idea again of the maniac, of the inspired person be a maniac. But quickly, I'm going to do a little review. Go back a couple weeks. Let's go back one week, maybe, for those of us that don't go very far. What did we talk about last week? Those of you who are here, do you remember? It was sowing and reaping. If you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. And so that is positive and negative, right? We saw it in Galatians from Paul. If you sow righteousness, if you sow right decisions, if you sow a love for the Lord, Paul says you reap life, life eternal. But if you sow wickedness, you're going to reap destruction. Again, not my words, very clear. And so what we saw, Hosea is speaking to his people. And again, his people are living in a prosperous time. The money is flowing good. They're at the idol worships, but they're also at the temple giving sacrifices. And they're like, hey, God must be blessing us. We must be doing okay because our finances are great. And so that was kind of their mindset. And yet Hosea was declaring you are about to reap the whirlwind. You're about to reap what you sow. Two weeks ago, if you remember what he said, and this is the key verse to me of Hosea, he says to his, God speaking to his people, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire the acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Right? And you guys, 
I love that you're here, and I want you here as much as you can absolutely be here. But if you're just checking off a box or if you're just putting some money in the plate, you're just giving sacrifices. And God says, I don't care about your sacrifices. I want your mercy, right? I want your love. Lo ruma, right? There's no love. There's no mercy. I want mercy. I want you to see it. And who better to tell us that than the one who gave his own son for us, amen? He says, show me mercy. And I pray that you'll hear even in my voice today, we're going to talk a lot of negatives, but I hope that you walk out of this room thinking about mercy and who you can show mercy to, right? I'm just looking at your guys' faces, and I know the people that you'll be encountering, and there's great opportunity for you to show love and mercy, right? Melissa and uh, Casey and uh, McCoonthans, when they're ministering to people all week long, what a great opportunity. opportunity they have to love and show mercy, right? You have the same opportunity. Let the Lord speak to your heart as he tries to teach us how to love each other. All right, let's jump in the first paragraph here, and I want you to see this again. We probably should speak about this even more in our current culture, but I want you to see the failure of the prosperity gospel. Even in this day of Hosea, there is a false understanding of blessing that leads to the same problem we have in our day with the prosperity gospel. Is everybody clear what the prosperity gospel is, right? The prosperity gospel is, if I obey the Lord and I do what the Lord wants, then I'm gonna be loaded, I'm gonna be rich, I'm gonna not have any problems. If I'm where the Lord wants me to be, I won't be sick for long because if I pray in faith, he will take care of everything. If the people around me, if, if, if I'm doing what the Lord wants and I'm praying for them, they're gonna rise up and walk because my faith is great. God's gonna bless me. I'm gonna have nice cars and nice watches and nice phones and a fancy jet to fly around in. If I'm obeying the Lord, it's the, the, the prosperity is the mountain and it's coming my way. And it trickles down in the church a little bit less than that, but that's kind of the essence, right? And so people start looking at their life, and they're like, oh, well, man, Brother Paul, he is loaded. The Lord must be, you know, he must be honoring the Lord. I just need to work a little harder, and if, if I'll honor the Lord, I'll get blessed, and I'll have riches like that. Why, why is it my family still sick? It must be that I'm not obeying the Lord. If I was obeying the Lord, they wouldn't be sick. Hello? And that mentality has infiltrated the world, but our country so much that if I am seen, if I want blessing, the Lord will give me material, physical blessing and the lack of problem and pain if I just follow him. And so some people begin to follow the Lord not because of what Jesus has done for them, but for what? For the gain or for the lack of pain? Prosperity gospel. Let's look together in verse 1. Do not rejoice, Israel. Do not be jubilant like the other nations. For you have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. Threshing floors and wine presses will not feed the people. The new wine will fail them. They will not remain in the Lord's land. Make sure you note that, the Lord's land. Ephraim will return to Egypt and eat unclean food in Assyria. They will not pour out wine offerings to the Lord, nor will their sacrifices please him. Such sacrifices will be to them like the bread of mourners. All who eat them will be unclean. This food will be for themselves. It will not come into the temple of the Lord. So what has happened here is Israel has sold out God. 
They love the wages of the what? Of the prostitute. Now, you, you say that like that, you're like, oh, that's disgusting. That's horrible. But they had sold themselves out, and they decided they would worship other gods as long as it meant prosperity to them. Right? Again, we saw this in our trip in India. It was so clear. If something happened, good happens to me while I'm praying to this idol, this is my idol. Well, you guys, it doesn't just happen in India, does it, right? If something good happens to me, if I'm, you know, superstitious about this, or if I'm involved in this thing, and it may not be what the Lord wants, but if I get a practical or a pragmatic goodness comes out of that, guess what? That's what I'm pursuing. That's what I'm choosing. Here, Hosea says, you're going to the threshing floors, you're going to the wine presses. What's at the threshing floors? Food, right? Abundance of food. What's at the wine presses? Wine. What, what they want is to have lots of flowing wine and lots of food to eat. And they're saying that because of the choices they made, because of the gods they've worshipped, that God is blessing them, even in spite, or because of even, if you will, their sin. And then what does he say? He says, those threshing floors and those wine presses will not feed the people. The new wine is going to fail them. They will not remain in the Lord's land. They don't see what is just around the corner. Can I tell you this morning, you don't either and I don't either. Right? I hope it's good things. Well, I know heaven is just around the corner. That's a really good thing. <laughs> but there are some things right around the corner that we can't see. They were misreading the signals. They thought because that there was a time of peace, because there was prosperity in the land, even if they were worshiping some false gods, as long as they were sacrificing in the temple, that was satisfying Jehovah God, everything would work out. And God says, there's not gonna be any food at the threshing floor. There's not gonna be wine at the wine presses. As a matter of fact, you're not gonna remain in the Lord's land. I'm gonna challenge you this morning. It's not yours. You think it's yours? That's my car. Yeah, I worked hard for that. I succeeded. I made my way up the company ladder, and that is mine. And it is a status of who I am, right? Is that yours? Those are my kids. Yeah, their success, the things that they've done, it's because I trained them so well, because I made them into who they are. Amen? Those are, those, they're mine, right? That is my 401k. I put a lot of money into that thing. And it's been growing, and I've tried to make good choices and good decisions. It is my, that is my house. I don't have the cheap, junky house off in the trailer park like some people. I have a nice house. It's mine, and I did it. Are you guys tracking with me? Whose land is it? Whose house is it? Whose 401k is it? Whose kids is it? You hearing the Lord? It's not yours. Yes, I'm thankful for your faithfulness. I'm thankful for your diligence. I'm thankful for your trust in the Lord, but it all belongs to him. And if he asks for it, he can take it at any time. And sometimes he does. And we need to live with very open and loose hands. Amen? We are just stewards. We're just managers. We're just servants. And it belongs to the Lord. And when we, when we hold them with loose hands, then our blessing is so much more because we see how it honors and glorifies him.
But they thought the land was theirs and God's about to show them, no, 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 it's the Lord's land and you're about to be removed because of your wickedness. Very clearly this morning, and I hope this makes sense, what is guiding most of your decision-making? How are you making most of your choices? Again, we've reflected on this a lot already in this series, but is it hearing the Spirit of God, or is it how is this going to affect my finances? Again, trying to make it very practical today, because that's what they were all about, was the prosperity that they were achieving And sometimes we say, well, right now the money is good or the money is okay, so that must mean my spiritual life is good too. And I want to challenge you that just because your life may be not in a very big pain point right now or because you have plenty of money right now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything is right with you and the Lord. Don't judge your relationship on the Lord based on your current status of affairs in that way. Be careful. And usually what happens to us is when things go south, then we start seeking the Lord, right? But the problem here is things weren't going south yet, and they should have been seeking the Lord, and instead they were just choosing the idols over God. Please don't pursue riches, but pursue what the Lord wants from you. Let's skip down to verse 5. This is where I wanted to focus a little bit this morning. You're like, what? (laughs) Listen to the crazy one? Listen to the maniac? Look in verse 5. What will you do on the day of your appointed festivals, on the feast days of the Lord? Even if they escape from destruction, Egypt will gather them and Memphis will bury them. Their treasures of silver will be taken over by briars and thorns will overrun their tents. Verse 7, the days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. And let Israel know this, because your sins are so many and your hostility is so great, the prophet is considered a fool and the inspired person a maniac. Verse 8, the prophet along with my God is the watchman over Ephraim, or Israel, yet snares await him on all his paths and hostility in the house of his God. They have sunk deep into corruption as in the days of Gibeah. God will remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. You guys got to hang with me here, all right? This is a little tricky, but I want you to walk with me in this. First thing he reminds them is that their treasures are being taken over by briars and thorns overrun their tents. The things that they've put all their trust in, those things are going to vanish, and they have, they have no clue how quickly. Think about it again today. In our setting, it would be like this. What if China or maybe even North Korea, they're developing nuclear submarines now. Maybe Russia finds some alliance together, and all of a sudden they take down our government, and we're all taken away. That's what's going to happen to Israel. And it's going to happen so fast that they don't see it coming. God says those things you had put your trust in, your tents and your talents, your treasure, the the briars and the thorns, they're going to cover all of them up. And I want you to be aware of that, he's telling them. The money won't matter. And I want to say this again this morning. This is for your preacher as much as anybody. When you face the king of kings, the money won't matter. So many of my decisions are based upon my pocketbook. And yours too, right? And, mo- and rightfully so, you have to decide what, that's the way our economy works, the way our life works. But man, I'm, I'm begging you and begging me today, be careful that we're not, make sure that we're listening to the Spirit of God as we make those decisions. Because when you go stand before the Lord, he's not probably going to be asking you how much was in your 401k or what you left to your kids in inheritance. He's going to be asking, what did you do with the life that I gave you? 
because their sins were so great, they were living in an upside-down world. And I'm telling you, and I don't have the best way to express this this morning, we're living in the same upside-down world right now. It was so crazy that the prophet was considered a what? From the text, a fool. Prophet's considered a fool. Hosea is the prophet. Hosea is telling the people, you're about to be taken away. You're about to be taken captive. You're about to lose all your treasure. You're about to lose your children. You're about to be moved out of the Lord's land, but you don't even see it coming. And all the people were like, what a fool. He had no clue. Um, seems like they said something similar to that about Noah, didn't they? What a crazy man. Building a boat. What's he know? Um, I bet some other people made fun of three guys that kind of stood up and everybody else bowed down. What idiots. Don't they know if you just bow down, you ain't got to worry about this? What did God do with the idiots? Right? He says in that same passage, he says the inspired person is a what? King James says a madman. He's mad. The NIV says he's a maniac. Here's what I want to tell you today, and I hope you hear me clearly today. The people that are speaking the truth of God today the world says they are crazy. We talked about this just a minute ago. When you live out Jesus, it will attract people, people that are looking for hope and looking for love. They're going to find Jesus in you, and they're going to want to be around you. But it also speaks truth because Jesus shares truth, doesn't he, right? And as you speak truth in this upside-down world, people are going to think you're a fool, and they're going to think you're crazy because I'm telling you, the whole thing is flipped. Go ahead. Let him call you crazy. Go ahead, let him consider you a fool. God's got your back, all right? That's the time we live in. The time here, this is so sad, and I'm trying to be careful. I want to not necessarily reveal all the things, but you guys have read the scriptures, you know. He says, this is a day like Gibeah. You remember Gibeah? Judges, I believe chapter 19. Again, I'll tell you a little bit of this story. It's one of the most horrible stories in all of the scriptures. Um, if you remember, there was a, a Levite, and he had a concubine. And he went to go get his concubine. Long story short, it took a while for them to leave. The people didn't really want him to leave for a few days. Finally, they get out of the town. They're making their way to the hill country of Ephraim. And they, what you would do back in those days, if you needed a place to stay, you would go and you'd get around the town square, right? So you'd go downtown at the circle and wait for somebody with some hospitality to show up and a few, few people maybe with some brown bags and maybe a, a blanket. <laughs> And they would say, hey, why don't you come to my house tonight, and I'll take care of you. Don't stay around the downtown in the nighttime, because maybe some bad things will happen. So in Gibeah, which was part and partly aligned with the, the Benjamites, this Levite and his concubine have made this trip. Well, another person where he was headed was the Ephraimite hill country. Another person from that place was around, and he said, hey, you shouldn't stay downtown tonight. Why don't you come home with me? And so they go home together, and as they lay down and they prepare to go to sleep, word got around that the visitor was in town. And then something that sounds an awful lot like Sodom and Gomorrah began to happen. All these wicked men of this town, they gather around this house, and they say, send out the visitor because we want to abuse him. We want to have our way with him. You talk about wickedness, right? That's where their hearts were. That's where they were burning, and that's where they were. Well, then something even worse happens in my mind. The house owner, you know what he says? He says, don't do such a thing. 
he says, we'll send out my virgin daughter and we'll send out the concubine. You can have your way with them, but you leave this man alone. How wicked do you have to be to turn your daughter over to wicked men who want to do wicked things? This is Israel. This is God's people. Finally, what happens is the Levite, he sends his concubine out. And the next morning, he goes out and he sees her on the threshing floor. And he tells her to get up. How horrible, how rude. (laughs) You put her out with all those men. She's been raped the whole night long, and now you're expecting her to get up. She doesn't get up. You know why? Because she's dead. He loads her up. He takes her away. When he gets home, he cuts her into 12 pieces. And he sends each piece to one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, do you see how wicked this whole thing is, right? That's how messed up that place was at that time. Not only that, once those dismembered pieces go to the tribes, you know what they do then? All of Israel decides that they're going to go and take out Benjamin. And they do so. Initially, Benjamin holds the line. They kill like 20-some thousand of the Israelites. Finally, the Israelites are seeking the Lord. They come, and they kill so many men in the tribe of Benjamin that there's only 600 warriors left in the whole tribe of Benjamin. And Hosea says, the day that I'm living in right now is as dark as that. No, no, things are fine. We got lots of money. We got some corn up there on the threshing floor. We got plenty of wine to drink. It's all good. And I'm trying to tell you folks today, and listen to the preacher as he tries to hear the Lord's voice. You listen to the Lord. Don't listen to the economy. Don't listen to the marketing media. Don't listen to the social media about how God is blessing our land. You make sure you're getting it direct from the source because they were not. And they thought the prophet was a fool. They thought the inspired person was crazy. And they should have been listening to the crazy because they were speaking the truth. Again, this morning, please hear the truth of God. All right. Again, Hosea speaks about his generation. He says their wickedness is like the days of Gibeah, and they will be punished, and Israel will never be the same. And guess what? That's exactly what happens. Look down at verse 10. When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert, God says. That's a good thing. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. Think about Israel coming out of Egypt. But when they came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they real children, I will bereave them of every one. Woe to them when I turn away from them. I have seen Ephraim like Tyre, planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim will bring out their children to the slayer. Remember, we talked about the Lord being a lion a few weeks ago. This is that same picture. And we'll see the Lord, he's like a father who wants to gather in his children in Hosea, which is a beautiful picture. But here is that really strong God of justice and judgment. Another quick story. This time, where does he compare them to? Who's Hosea? compare this time to. He says, they're alike, their ancestors, when they came to Baal Peor. If you want to, turn to Numbers 25. We're just going to look at three verses there. Baal Peor. Do you guys remember Baal Peor? Probably not. I didn't. I had to look it up. (laughs) Numbers 25 and verse 1 through 3. What's the scripture say? 
While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. Do you see adultery and idolatry tied together? Huh, that sounds like Hosea, doesn't it, right? It's the same truth. They invited them to sacrifice to their gods. The people ate sacrificial meal. They bowed down before these gods. In verse 3, so Israel yoked themselves to the what? To the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. Hosea says, my people in this day, you're just like Baal Peor. You have not learned your lesson. You guys remember what happened at Baal Peor? Moses is telling the assembly to be in sackcloth and ashes to repent because of the immorality that they had, because of the adultery and the idolatry that was going on in Moses' day. In the middle of the conversation, one of the Israelite men took a Midianite woman into his tent in front of the assembly. That's how brazen that they didn't care. And if you remember Aaron, he had a grandson by the name of Phineas. Again, the scriptures are very, uh, almost grotesque in their description. Phineas goes and he takes a spear and he runs the spear through both of them in the tent. Up to that time, 24,000 people had died in a plague and the plague ended once that happened because the people said no more of the idolatry, no more of the immorality. But what a, a way to have to get people's attention, right? Hosea says, you guys are like the Baal of Peor. You guys are like Gibeah. That's the type of day that he is trying to describe. And it is a very grotesque way, but I want to tell you when the Lord sees our sin, it is just as sickening to him as these things are to us. Again, the words here, not my words, but the literal children of Israel are going to face destruction. The wombs are going to be dry. Let's look at that just finally here this morning. Last paragraph. Look down at verse 14 as we look at rejected, our last theme today. Hosea says, give them, Lord, what will you give them? Give them wombs that miscarry and breasts that are dry because all of their wickedness in Gilgal. I hated them there because of their sinful deeds. I will drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. All these leaders are rebellious. Ephraim is blighted. The root is withered. They yield no fruit. Even if they bear children, I will slay their cherished offspring. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wanderers among the nations. Right? Did you hear <laughs> Lo Ami, Lo Ruma? Like, I will no longer love them. I will drive them out of my house. They're not going to be my people. Those names and themes keep recurring. One final place here this morning. And that is Gilgal. Gilgal was the place where Elisha and Elijah, where the prophets had their schools, where they called out the axe head. Remember that? That's one of my favorite stories. They're looking for this axe head that they needed to do the work. It fell in the stream. Nobody can find it. And uh, I believe Elijah comes by and he tosses the axe handle into the water. And the axe head comes up to the top of the water and joins the axe head. That's where all these miracles are happening. It was a place where God did incredible things. And now they said, you made Gilgal a place to worship idols. And I want us to be careful this morning. If we don't make a commitment to the things of God, our most spiritual places will become places for idolatry. This is a beautiful building. Make a great mosque. Hello? Did I get your attention there? This is a beautiful building. 
I bet you can put some really pretty idols around this place, don't you think? You guys are like, oh, yeah. It's happening. Buildings that were once churches are now becoming places for false worship. I want to be so careful here. You guys, please hear my heart and please pray with the preacher even as we approach this. I listened to a speaker last night and they were talking on a podcast and it was just so obvious. <laughs> it was a very secular, secular liberal speaker and here was the, the, the premise that they came up with. They said, well, it's been really interesting that it seems like that children that have two parent families, they do much better than the other children as far as their health care and their education and really their success in life. And, and she even said, she said, my dad was really making fun of me. He's like, you had to go do a dissertation and a doctoral paper to know that? <laughs> you guys, I live in an academic environment. They will not admit that there's a problem with the absent father that causes the child having a hard time to learn. I'm like, open your eyes, right? I thought it was kind of refreshing to hear a secular liberal person who said, we need to have this discussion, even if it's not about value and morals. They were discussing it from an economic perspective. They were just saying, it's better for kids when there's two parents. The podcast hoster, he said, um, have you done any study into uh, the decline of religion in America and how it might relate to this? She said, no, I haven't studied that at all. And I'm like, hmm, isn't it a wonder that as the church in America declines that we have more and more single-parent homes and our kids have more and more issues and problems and they don't prosper as much as they did in the past? It's pretty clear if you're talking to the preacher. Now, this is where I'm going to get at you. We need to make sure that we maintain our commitment to the church. And not just this local church, but to the church of God. Because if we continue to say that this is not really that important and everything else is more important, this place is gone. The church and its influence is gone. It's already on the decline. Watch the numbers. See the numbers. And if we decide that, well... This is a little better. This is easier. I know it's not as much. It's not as important. What's going to happen to our children and our grandchildren? They're already not coming to church. They're already not seeing the value of meeting together. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves, right, as the manner of some is. But all the more as you see the day approaching. Is the day approaching, people? Is the day of the Lord on its way? All the more is the day approaching. Let's make being together important. You guys hear me out, right? It's not about you just sitting in the pew. That's a sacrifice. God says, I want to see what? Mercy, right? And I'm challenging you, don't let everything else that's not really that important get in the way of you showing mercy. Here God's people made those choices, and because of it, they're going to be carried away to Assyria. They have rejected God, and hear me out this morning, in this chapter, he has rejected them, and as a result, they will, and history proved it, they will be wonders, wanderers. They will move around without a home. We need revival so desperately, but if we continue in our adulterous and our idolatrous ways, we are headed for the same destruction. You may say today, I'm fear-mongering or I'm making too much of sin, you may call people who say things like this foolish or crazy, but I think we are living in the same upside-down world that Hosea lived in. And if we don't change our ways, 
we will end up in the same destruction. And yes, I'm talking about our country, America. You weigh it out. You see. All right. Let's wrap it all up this morning. In conclusion, Hosea is a wake-up call for everyone. That's what he's trying to do. And that's what I'm trying to do in my heart today and yours today. And again, I'm trying not to play to some sort of fear-based thing, but I want you to see truth, right? It just seems so clear. They thought, well, everything's okay because the money's good, and so the Lord must still be with us. I'm telling you, he's not. Just because the money's good doesn't mean the Lord is with us. And here's what I want you to hear this morning, and I want you to hear it after all that negativity and such gross stories that we shared this morning. The Lord loves us so much. He wants us. Why do you think that he he would have Hosea keep going to Gomer and bringing her back in? We're going to see that, by the way. This story gets a little better at the end. He loves us. He wants us to be his people. He desires to show us mercy. The Lord wants us. He wants to be Ruamai. He wants to be Ami. He wants us to be his people. He wants to show us those things. But his patience will not last forever, and he will judge sin. That is not penology. That is the word of God. Please hear it today. Kierkegaard, he was a Danish philosopher. He told a story about a goose who was wounded, and he landed in a barnyard with some chickens. And he played with the chickens, and he ate with the chickens. And after a while, the goose thought, well, maybe he was a chicken. One day, a flight of geese came over, and they were migrating to their home, and they gave a honk up there in the sky, and and he heard it. And Kierkegaard said, something stirred within the breast of the goose. Something called him to the skies. He began to flap his wings he hadn't used, and he rose a few feet into the air. And then he stopped, and he settled back again into the mud of the barnyard. He heard the cry, but he settled for less. You guys, you're hearing the Lord. But we're in with all the chickens, aren't we, right? Well, this is what you do. You just get up, you do your patterns, you make your money, you try to get a good dinner, maybe you get your house, get you a good education, you work 40 years, you retire, you die. This is life, right? No. God has so much more for me and you, and we need to stop settling for less. And the only way we do that is we need to seek the Lord with all our heart. Here's my prayer to you today. Ask the Lord to show you where you are chasing prosperity when you should be seeking the kingdom. And can I ask you this morning, would you pray for the preacher and for his wife too? Lord, help us when we're just settling for prosperity and we're not chasing after Jesus. We're not seeking the kingdom. Pray for one another that we can encourage and build up each other to be the people of God that we have been called to be. Amen. Let's stand this morning.